Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. God's praise and just envisioning the aspect of God's glory covering the whole earth and filling it. And, and then when the power went out and we lost the sound system and we kept singing, um, it made me think about a, a dream I had a number of years ago. A long time ago, I used to write a, a blog. And uh, that blog has now been taken down just because I stopped paying for this. But the thing is, within it, I, I took this, this dream I had, and I, I wrote a, a blog post about it. And in the dream, um, there, was, there was a woman who was seen, and there was a oh, small setup. So, you know, there was a microphone, there were speakers, but, but no sound was coming through the speakers. And there were people who were working behind the scenes trying to get the sound system to work. And the woman kept singing. She was singing Agnes Day, okay, which is Lamb of God. And she, she was singing it, and she was singing it with everything that she had. Even though there's no sound coming out, it didn't matter to her. She was saying, I'm going to sing unto the Lamb. And then, in the middle of the song, the sound system started working. And the sound began to project throughout the entire arena. And the message from that dream is that it doesn't matter what you can hear or what the impact is in the moment. Continue to sing the song. Continue to fill the skies to the best of your ability with what God has given you to use the breath that's in your lungs to proclaim his goodness. And at the right time, when he's got everything ready behind the scenes, he's going to broadcast it and fill the atmosphere with that praise. So let your life song sing, no matter the circumstances, right? And, you know, um, I didn't think I was going to share this because it seems kind of odd, but since I'm already talking about a dream, let's go ahead and talk about another one. Um, So my routine on Saturday mornings is pretty standard. I set my alarm for 4.45 in the morning, and then my plan is that I'm going to snooze for 20 minutes, and then I'm going to get up, you know, because everybody needs a good snooze, right? And so I did that. I did my 20-minute snooze and wake up at 5.05, and I get out of bed, and, and something in me says, go back to bed, but set your alarm for 5.17. I'm like, 5.17? Okay, fine, 5.17. So I said it got back in bed and I was like, why on earth? 517, that's weird. And so I go to sleep and uh, then I wake up at 514. I'm like, well, I'll probably just get up. And I feel like I hear, nope, just wait. So I go back to sleep. 
And, in the, and I dream, and in the dream, I dream that it's 521 and my alarm hasn't gone off. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I better get up. But again, I had the, nope, just wait. And a few seconds later, my alarm starts going off. It's 517. So anyway, I get up, look at the clock. I'm like, I think 517 means something. And so I start to walk to go brush my teeth. And I was like, it's Matthew 517. That's what it's, that's what this is talking about. Okay. And then, and I was like, I wonder if 521 is another part in what the Lord's trying to say to me. And so, yes, it is. And, um, so Matthew 5:17. You know, if I were really good, I would have just known right away for sure what scripture it was, but I didn't know. But what it is is Yeshua saying, "Do not think that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill." And if you continue reading, he says, "For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the Torah until all is accomplished." And then when we go on and you skip forward to verse 21, you see, he says, You have heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, um, some messages say angry with his brother without cause, shall be guilty before the court, and whoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever shall say you fool shall be guilty enough to go into Gehenna, or the fiery hell. And both of these passages, I feel like, have to do with this, uh, this week's message and what's taking place in the Torah portion. And I had thought that the, the name of this message might be the Revealed Torah. And then I started thinking, well, maybe it's the Torah Revealed. And now it's like, well, is it the Torah Fulfilled? with a question mark. So it may be any one of those, and we're going to kind of figure that out as we go along. And I think there's some aspect of each of these components, each of these potential names that play into what God has for us this morning. So this week we are in portion Yitro, which means Jethro with Moses' father-in-law. But in this portion, we have the children of Israel arriving at the wilderness of Sinai. They've come to the mountain of Horeb, and they are the mountain in Horeb. It's not Horeb is a region, and the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, is in Horeb. But they've come into this area, and God is ready to take the children of Israel to him as his bride to bring them into covenant. He's going to descend in fire on the mountain and speak audibly to the people. It's an incredible sight, an incredible thing to imagine the glory of God being revealed in power. And God's revealing himself in a way that, and to a degree, that exceeds what he had done before. All right, and it's really, it's really the climax of the Exodus, right? Now, to say that it's the climax of the Exodus might be something where we say, well, Man, when you think about the whole story, you know, there's so many highlights and major events that are taking place. How, how can we call one thing the climax? And I, I call it the climax because it's what everything was building up toward, right? I mean, because we had the burn, you know, Moses encountering God at the burning bush. We have the ten plagues brought against Egypt. You have the Passover with the Passover lamb, right? The first 
the firstborn of Israel being redeemed by God and saved through the blood of the Lamb. You have Pharaoh sending the people out. You have the sea being split and the children of Israel going through on dry land. It's all of these things, major, major events where you'd be like, wow, the sea split and now they're free. Now maybe, maybe that was the climax. But no, this, this is what everything was building up for. It's the goal of the redemption is for God to take a people unto himself, to have a treasured possession that he can be in close relationship with. And his having his people then go forward and reveal who he is to the rest of the world. Now, where we were a couple of weeks ago, we had the Passover, right? Back in Exodus 12. And, and now we've gone forward essentially a little over seven weeks, roughly 50 days from the Exodus, and we have come to the point where God is going to come down on the mountain and reveal himself. And later on in the scriptures, actually we may have already had it, brain may fail me a little bit, but we will see when God tells of his appointed times, he says on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, you will offer the Passover lamb. And then on the 15th day, that begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it runs for seven days. But on the day after uh, the Sabbath, the day after the Sabbath, you will make a first fruit offering, and that will begin the count of the Omer, and you will count 50 days. And on the 50th day, you will celebrate the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Pentecost. And so these, these two holidays, they are unique in what God is doing in these times, but they are linked together with one another through the counting of the Omer and through what's taking place here because you cannot have, well, you need both of them for the story to be complete. You could have a redemption out of Egypt, but what would that serve if you didn't actually have the people coming into a relationship with a new, with God, okay? And then you could have you could have Shavuot or Pentecost, but to a people who were in bondage to Pharaoh, they can't fully serve God. So you need both. You need the redemption and you need the covenant relationship. So these two really kind of complete each other. The, the redemption is needed for the covenant relationship to be established. And if we read in Exodus 6, verses 6 through 7, we'll see a little a little aspect of this. When God was talking to Moses, getting ready to send Moses back the second time to Pharaoh, he says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." So these are, this passage represents the four expressions of redemption, that I shall take you out, I shall rescue you, I shall redeem you, and I shall take you to me for a people. The first three 
of taking the children of Israel out, rescuing them and redeeming them had already taken place in the Passover and the splitting of the sea. But this fourth aspect of taking you to me for a people and I shall be a God to you, that's what we're seeing played out this week when God comes down on the mountain and invites the children of Israel to come into covenant relationship with them, with him so that they will be his special people and that he will be their God. So if we read in Exodus 19, starting in verse 1, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe in you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Okay, so within this passage that we just read, back in verses 5 and 6, in fact, let's go here. In Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, God said, If you will indeed obey my voice, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So within this, he says, you shall be my special treasure, my special possession. This is the Hebrew word segula. Okay, segula. So you may hear in, in various song, songs, uh, like if you, lechadori. Okay, you'll hear the phrase am segula, the people who are special. Okay, well, the segula is a unique term. It was used in the ancient Near East to describe a king's prized trophy. So when there was a battle won and there were spoils of war, the best of the spoils were taken by the king, and that was the segula. That was the treasured possession from the conquering. And so he was saying, you're my special treasure that I have, I have attained through this deliverance and this great battle that I won over the Egyptians. And you recall back in the story of the, uh, of the Exodus, when God was talking about all the judgments that he was going to bring on Egypt, he said that it was for various reasons, so that the children of Israel would know that he is God, so that the Egyptians would know that he is God, and so that the whole world would know that he is God, right? And 
yes, he was going to reveal himself through these great judgments so that all the world would know him. And in fact, that's even something that we see when Jethro comes to Moses back in Exodus 18. Is that right? Exodus 18, yes. Um, Exodus 18, verse 11. He says, he says, well, okay, so Moses relayed to him all the things that God had done and how he had rescued them from the hand of Egypt. And Jethro said, Blessed is Hashem who rescued you from the hand of Egypt and from the hand of Pharaoh, who has rescued the people from under the hand of Egypt. Now I know that Hashem is greater than all the gods, for in this very matter in which the Egyptians had conspired against them, and he doesn't complete the, the phrase there, but he's saying the very way in which the Egyptians sought to destroy the children of Israel, God brought that back upon Egypt. And he says, I've seen what God has done. I've seen that he has mastery over all the other gods. He is the one true God. So God had made his name known. And where was Jethro? He was in Midian, right? So his fame had spread from the children of Israel through, throughout Egypt and now unto all the rest of the world. And Jethro was able to proclaim him as the one true God. So God has called this special treasure, right? But even saying, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession, okay? That's not the end of it either. That's one part. If you look at the second part of it, he says that and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay, so there's one aspect of being this special treasured possession, which is important. But then there's the other side of it is, what does that special treasured possession do? That special treasured possession then goes out and acts as a priest of God to minister His name to the rest of the world. A holy nation. So... There's a purpose beyond just the status. There's a purpose just beyond the redemption. There's the relationship. There's the covenantal standing. And then there's the priesthood that goes forward and ministers who God is to the world. Okay, so God's going to bring the children of Israel to him as his bride and bring them into covenant. And so if you go back to where Maybe I can't really say back to where the story began because then we'd have to go all the way back to the very beginning. But if you go back to where this redemption kind of began, you go back to the burning bush. Okay, Moses is out in Midian and he's shepherding Jethro's flocks. And when he, he was right, he was in Horeb near the mountain of God and he looks and he sees a bush that is burning on the mountain of God. But he is amazed because the bush is not burning up. So he turns aside to go see it. And it's at that time that God calls to him from the midst of the burning bush. And he says, this is uh, Exodus 3, verse 4. He says, Moses, Moses. And he replied, here I am. He said, do not come closer to here, but remove your shoes from your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. Right? And so, so here in this moment, Moses is getting a foretaste of what's to come.
Here he sees God's presence in fire on the mountain. And God says, this is holy. And you can't come all the way to me. And he tells Moses that Moses is going to go and redeem the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses replies, this is verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should take the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, For I shall be with you, and this is your sign that I have sent you. When you take the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. Right? So at that time, God said, You're coming back here. And this will be a sign to you. And you will know in that moment that I have sent you and I have I brought about my word. Okay? So now here Moses is. He's brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they've come to this mountain. And God says, I'm going to come down on the mountain and meet with you. You're going to serve me here. The word that I gave you, the word that I gave you that had insurmountable odds is coming to pass. So he says, get, get ready. For on the third day, my presence is coming down on the mountain. So now if we, we read in Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and look to look and many of them perish so once again he's saying don't come close okay when my presence is in fire on the mountain tell the people that they cannot come close for this is holy ground also let the priests who come near to the lord consecrate themselves lest the lord break out against them and moses said to the lord the people cannot come up to mount sinai for you yourself warned us saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it and the lord said to him go down and come up bringing aaron with you but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. Okay, so within the long passage that we just read, right? God's presence came down on the mountain. He revealed Himself, and He spoke the ten words of the covenant, the ten commandments. And when we take a look at the covenant that God is bringing the children of Israel into, there's a couple of important aspects. And I know that we, we hit on this whenever we talk about the covenant because it's, it's a key aspect in our understanding of what is the covenant in this relationship that the children of Israel have, that we have through Yeshua. And... What is the, uh, what are the nuts and bolts of covenant? And there are various reasons that a covenant would be established between people. But the, the, the example that we best have that reflects the covenant relationship between God and His people is, is one of marriage between a man and a woman, right? Who have a relationship that is worth keeping and worth preserving and worth protecting. And so a covenant is made between the two parties that establishes how the two parties will relate with one another, what the obligations are of both sides, and the purpose of the vows that establish the covenant are to safeguard the covenant such that the relationship is not violated, such that the relationship is protected. And so when we look at the covenant between God and His people, the Torah, the commandments He gives, are the thing, are, they are the stipulations that safeguard the relationship, that allow the purpose of the covenant to go forward, such that the people can be in right relationship with God and can, and can actually then begin to reflect the nature of who He is. They can be the treasured people, and then they can also be this kingdom of priests and a holy nation. For without, without the commandments that God gives, then the relationship is trampled upon, and the people don't know how they are to be changed, how they are to be transformed into His likeness, such that they can then be effective ministers of His gospel, of His truth. And so these Ten Commandments, if we look at them, you know, at, at a surface level, you can say, okay, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Um, you know, there's several do nots, right? And you, we could be tempted to say, well, it's just a list of do's and don'ts, right? If I, if I can check those boxes off, then, then I'm good. Right? Uh, if I've checked them off, then I've fulfilled the Torah. Right? Now, 
There's an issue with that, of course, because there, hmm, the idea of fulfilling the Torah can be misunderstood in our Western world, right? Because we, if we think of something uh, like, okay, so you go online, you place an order on Amazon or somewhere, and he says, thank you, you placed your order. And then, you know, they say your, your order's been shipped, it's been fulfilled, right? Yeah, because, hey, the contract between us, I said I was going to buy this, I gave you money, you are now sending it to me, the contract has been fulfilled, now the contract is done away with, right? Because the terms were met. But when it comes to a covenant, there's not an aspect whereby the conditions are met such that they go away and the, con and the covenant goes away. The covenant is everlasting, and the, the aspects, the commandments are ongoing. They're perpetual, right? They're day by day. It's not like I checked it off and it's gone, it's done away with, I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's a continuous thing of walking with God throughout our entire life. So the aspect of fulfilling a contract versus fulfilling a covenant are two completely different things, even in a Western mindset of fulfilling. Earlier we read about how Yeshua said, I didn't come to abolish the Torah, but I came to fulfill it. Well, if we look at it in terms of a contract, fulfilling it would complete it. It would do away with it. It's not the same thing as abolishing, but yet it's gone, right? So maybe we need to understand a little bit better what Yeshua is talking about when he says that he came to fulfill the Torah. And to understand what he's talking about with abolish versus fulfill, we need to understand what the language was of the time and the common idioms that were used amongst the, amongst the rabbis to explain various aspects of the Torah and even what these terms mean. So the aspect of abolishing Torah and fulfilling Torah was common terminology, and it had everything to do with whether or not you are uh, detracting for, from Torah or if you are interpreting it rightly. So the way that it might play out is a student brings an interpretation of the scriptures to his rabbi and he says, Rabbi, here's my interpretation of the scripture. And the rabbi says, well, by your inter interpretation, you abolish the Torah, meaning that you have misinterpreted it such that you have done away with an aspect of it. You have cut off part of the Torah. And he says, your understanding is wrong. Go back and fulfill the Torah. He says, you've abolished the Torah. Go back, get your, get your thinking straight, and fulfill the Torah. Fulfilling the Torah meant to give right interpretation to the Torah. In order, filling it to its fullness. What did it really mean? Okay, so abolishing Torah was misinterpretation. Fulfilling Torah was giving right interpretation. So Yeshua was, in his expression in Matthew, was saying, I am not doing away with any aspect of the Torah. I, am, I have come to give right interpretation to it such that you can understand it, so that you can rightly apply it to your life. And that's exactly the context that we see playing out in the Sermon on the Mount. Interestingly enough, even the Sermon on the Mount is somewhat a picture of what was taking place at Mount Sinai, right? Because before Yeshua goes up to give his Sermon on the Mount, well, actually, I just said it. Before he gives the Sermon on the Mount, he ascends up the mountain and sits down and begins to teach. And he begins to say 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he goes on and he says that I haven't come to give wrong interpretation of the Torah, but I've come to fulfill it, to give it right interpretation. And he says, truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, which is a yod, or the stroke, which is like a uh, decorative mark, crowns on the on the letters shall pass away from the Torah until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so Yeshua makes it clear that even the smallest aspect of the Torah will not pass away until heaven and earth pass away, right? And then he begins to go in and in verse 21, he begins to expound upon the Torah and explain it to greater depths. Now, within this aspect of Yeshua going in to explain in greater depths the meaning of the Torah, this is actually an expectation of what the Messiah will do. In Jewish thought, the Torah given to Moses was a bodily presentation of a heavenly Torah, right? So God's Torah, God's teaching, God's instruction or a reflection of his character and his nature. God does not change. But what he does is he reveals himself to man so that man can know that he is God and so that man can be transformed into the image of God, to reflect him, to have his light shine through them. And so throughout all time, God has progressively been revealing himself to greater degrees. I mean, even if you go back in the garden, God was revealing himself to Adam, but he didn't. And he had revealed various aspects, even to Cain and Abel, about offerings being brought to God. The Sabbath day had already been established. Various aspects of who God is and what he's created and what is right had been revealed. And in the time of Noah, the Noahid laws were given, okay? And so God was continually giving greater and greater instruction and revelation of who he is. And now here at Mount Sinai, he's giving greater revelation of his Torah and expressing more of the commandments and giving them to a people who would be transformed by his ways and his nature. And even in the time of Yeshua, it was understood that the Ten Commandments had greater depth of meaning than just you shall not murder. That you shall not murder was a fundamental principle, a commandment given that had greater depths to search out and understand so that we could actually fully embody what God means by do not murder. Such that uh, the teachings of the sages were that even maligning one's character was an aspect of murder. Um, not, not providing for people in need was tantamount to murder. Uh, with the commandment not to commit adultery, even the aspect of having improper fraternization between the sexes that could incite lust was considered tantamount to adultery. Okay, so there were various aspects of, of understanding the scriptures to a greater degree than just a checkbox of, okay, I didn't commit murder today, I'm doing pretty good. And maybe you are doing pretty good today by not committing murder, okay? Everyone's at a different point in their life. Okay. 
Bridget hears me. So <laughs> she, she brought it on herself. She was making motions back there. But, <laughs> but and, and that is an aspect, right? God gives the Torah. He gives a revelation of who he is. And all of us are at a different place of our transformation and our walk with him. Just because we can't walk in every aspect of God's revealed nature and character today doesn't mean that we just say, well, I can't do it all. I'm not doing anything. No, instead it's the day by day, step by step, come, grow, learn, right? And so God's revealed his character and his nature and it's beyond like these. Uh, okay, so, you know, I mentioned that these 10 are principles upon which all the other commandments can hang. Right. Well, even the aspect of what Yeshua said when when one came to him and asked him, teacher, what is the greatest of the commandments? And Yeshua says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And he said, another is like it to love your neighbor like yourself. Upon these two, all the Torah and prophets hang. Right. When he was saying that, he wasn't saying these are the only two commandments and there is nothing else. He wasn't saying these replace the ten. He was saying that these two are the foundation from which the ten spring, and the ten are the foundation from which the 613 spring. Okay, but they're all rooted back in this aspect of loving God and loving your neighbor. And, and so Yeshua is giving his Sermon on the Mount, and he's expounding on the greater, the greater depths of what the Torah are. Very much in line with the messianic, the expectation that the heavenly Torah will be revealed in the messianic era and the Messiah will re give revelation of what this heavenly Torah is. So if the Torah of Moses is like a body, right? Like God's word written on stone, then the Torah revealed by the Messiah is the one that represents the spiritual dimension of the Torah. So within the word written on stone, you have the body, but then the word revealed by the spirit is the spiritual revelation of a higher Torah. Now, when I say it's a higher Torah, it is the same Torah just revealed in different dimensions to different degrees, right? So let's say that, let's say you're a teacher. We've got some teachers out here. And so you've gone through and, and you've gone through uh, all the all high school, you've gone through college, you have a degree, and you're teaching first grade. And man, you know everything there is to know about grammar, right? And so you sit down the first grade and you say, let me reveal to you everything about grammar in this moment. And the child looks at you like, I retained nothing, right? So what do you do? You reveal to the child to the degree that they are able to receive and they're able to grow and learn. And it's okay that they don't know everything that you know. But what you're doing is you're meeting them where they are. You're revealing to them what they can then use. So God says, okay, people, I brought you out of Egypt. I've redeemed you from Pharaoh. You've been in an idolatrous you know, uh, nation for a long time. I've got to get that out of you. I've got to bring you to the point where I can heal you from the trauma of the slavery and the mistreatment that you've had. So I'm going to take you and I'm going to teach you that you can trust me, 
that I'm going to provide you in every, for you in every dimension and that, that I love you. I'm not like Pharaoh. I do this for your good. So now let me reveal to you who I desire you to be. And I'm going to walk with you and help you to get there. So he reveals the Torah written on stone. And this Torah on stone is for the purpose of guiding a nation and helping the people to transform into who God wants them to be, to lead them to Messiah, right? That's what Paul talks about. He says, the end of the Torah, Yeshua is the end of the Torah, not the finality of the Torah, but he is the goal of the Torah, that which the Torah seeks to bring us to, helps us to come to recognize him, but not just to recognize him, but to become like him. For if Yeshua is the Torah made flesh, the Word of God made flesh, then He is the divine Torah who is now represented in the body, giving us right spiritual understanding of what God's Torah is, not negating anything that is of the Torah written on stone, but giving fuller expression to it, both in body and in spirit, that us in both our body and our spirit can reflect the fullness of what the Torah desires, the fullness of Messiah revealed on the earth. So here's Yeshua. He's coming and he has gone up the mountain. He has sat down to teach his disciples and the people who have gathered around him. And he says, I'm not abolishing the Torah. I'm not doing away with any aspect of it. I'm giving you right interpretation. Now let's go into some of the right interpretation. In the next verses in Matthew 5, 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders, actually I read this one earlier, but let's skip, let's skip down because I read this earlier about the various ways in which he's saying this hatred in your heart is likened unto murder. And then he continues on and he says, verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that uh, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And, the re and one of the things that he was addressing at this point in time is there was a debate over whether you could divorce your wife because she burnt your toast. That is a major offense, right? But Yeshua says that it's not an offense worthy of divorce because your covenant is greater than that, okay? So, and then he goes on with, with several others, right? And he says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And he says, I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool. And he goes on to say, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
And he continues on, but he's giving right interpretation to the scripture about how we are to apply the word in our lives. Because it's not enough just to check the box. It's how does this actually transform you? How does God's word transform you? And his word written on tablets of stone can guide us and direct us and bring transformation to us. But even more so, his word written on our heart by the spirit, the combination of the body and the spirit brings greater degrees of transformation, greater degrees of freedom. You know, with, with one aspect of uh, what we're talking about here with Yeshua giving greater interpretation to the scriptures, you may have heard it taught that Yeshua was upping the ante when, when he was giving these things. He was saying, I know that Moses said, do this, but I say, do more. And that often it's couched with the idea that Yeshua really wanted to drive home the point that you can't do it, that you've got to rely on him for salvation. That's not what he was, that's not what he was trying to say. Um, he was not trying to say, you think the bar was high? I'm making the bar higher. He's saying, no, the bar has always been for you to be a holy people who are transformed into the image and likeness of God. Let me help you understand what that is. And let me help you understand that it wasn't the commandments that saved you, that it was God who saved you. Okay, so think about this. I know I've said it before, but the children of Israel, when were they given the Torah? They were given the Torah after God had taken them out of Egypt, redeemed them by the blood of the Lamb, split the waters and immersed them in the sea and walked with them a cloud by day and fire by night, given them the Sabbath. And now he says, now I'm bringing you into a covenant and giving you this Torah. I'm bringing you to a higher level. He didn't say, I'm giving you the Torah, and if you keep it, I'll bring you out of Egypt, I'll give you the Passover lamb, I'll give you this. The Passover lamb didn't take away the Torah. The Torah came after the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb didn't have to do away with the Torah. Yeshua didn't come to do away with the Torah either, because the Torah is given to a redeemed people. Okay, it's for a redeemed people. The Torah is not for the people of the world who don't know God. But it's his desire that they would come to know him and then come to know his Torah and then come to reflect his light. That's why he wants a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to minister to the world who don't know God, who don't know his Torah, so that they can come to know God and know his Torah and become like him. And, you know, just to go along these lines that I'm speaking of where Yeshua was not trying to up the ante or say you can't do it, there were multiple times that he made the statement, that Yeshua made the statement in his teachings that you should keep the commandments. And even with uh, this week's gospel reading that we had from Matthew 19 with the rich young ruler, 
Matthew 19, 16, Behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? He said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Well, which ones? Yeshua said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Yeshua begins to list the commandments that, that he should keep. He says, to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. Well, that doesn't sound like current teaching today. But Yeshua is, Yeshua is not playing a game. He's not trying to trick the rich young ruler. He's saying, yes, this is life. God's commandments are life to those who find them. If you want to come to know God, walk in his ways. He says, which ones? So Yeshua starts to list many of the Ten Commandments, but then he doesn't end with one of the Ten Commandments, and he doesn't list all of them. He ends with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So Yeshua wasn't just saying, just do the Ten Commandments. That's everlasting life. He's saying, all that God has given, all that he has revealed of who he is, do those things. That will help you know him. That will help you experience everlasting life. Not that that's what's going to save you, but that's what's going to draw you into closer relationship with him and help you reflect who he is and fulfill your purpose that he has. And the, and the rich and ruler says, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? Yeshua said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. All right? So then, even this, as we mentioned earlier, this is not a global command that everyone sell everything they have and give it to the poor because then everyone will be poor. Okay? What Yeshua was doing is he's saying, you do these things. You've done well to keep the commandments. I'm not rebuking you for being so self-righteous that you said I've always done these things. Instead, he's saying, good. Okay, but you want to be complete? You want to go even farther? Well, what's needed for you at this point in your life, if you really want to go to the next level, is to sell your possessions and come and follow me. That's going to bring you to a greater level of relationship. It's not a salvation thing. It's if you want to be complete, here's your next step. Here's the next step for you to go forward. And of course, the rich young ruler, ruler was grieved, right? But God was, or, you know, but Yeshua was revealing to him what he needed. Yeshua was giving a revelation to him of what greater levels of Torah that he could walk in. And that he would only come to know those things if he were willing to give up some of the things of the world. If he was willing to set aside some of the things of the flesh, he might be able to take part of more of that which is of the Spirit, which he would learn following Yeshua. Now, if we go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, what's the purpose? What's the purpose within the covenant and this transformation? And in Matthew 5.13, Yeshua says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God's taken a special people and he's given them the word to transform them so that they can be the salt of the earth and they can be the light of the world. That others may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. He's calling us to be the special treasured possession and the kingdom of priests. And, he, and he's calling us to increase from glory to glory. Okay? And so much the story of what he does. You know, we talked about how God appeared in the burning bush, this fire that didn't consume on the mountain of God. And he called Moses to go with a purpose. And now Moses is gone and fulfilled that purpose and now God's coming down to a greater degree on the mountain in fire and thunders and dark cloud and revealing himself. And then you fast forward to the time of Yeshua. Yeshua's death and resurrection being reflections, at the time of Passover, being reflections of God's great deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt. Yeshua being the Passover lamb that delivers the children of God out of slavery to sin and death. And then he tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit who will come upon them. And then on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Shavuot, you see Sinai being carried out again at the temple when there's a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire being distributed on the apostles and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. You have an increase from glory to glory an increasing measure of God's covenant relationship poured out. The foretaste of the new covenant signified by the giving of the Holy Spirit. And then, again, even that, even that Pentecost, even that Shavuot being very much connected to the Passover of Yeshua. Right? Yeshua redeems us out of sin and death so that he might take us, which is a spiritual deliverance, Right? So that we then might be ready to receive the Spirit of God to have this greater depths of the spiritual Torah written on our hearts that couldn't be written there if we are still slaves to sin and death. So he's taking us from glory to glory. And then even looking forward from where we are today to a deliverance to come, the second coming of Yeshua, and the time of the wedding supper of the Lamb, right? That wedding supper of the Lamb is a covenantal meal where the new covenant is fully established with Yeshua reigning as Messiah here on the earth. And this concept of the, um, of the physical Torah and the spiritual Torah, that the that the sages speak of? Well, Paul also spoke of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I know the time's getting a little bit late. 
So we could skip this and leave it out. But I think we're, I think we're going to go ahead and go through it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, 2 Corinthians, and, and part of what brings this scripture to mind, I'm in the wrong Corinthians. That's why I'm like, that doesn't look right. 2 Corinthians 3, okay? 2 Corinthians 3, 18, Paul says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Right? So, he's talking about this aspect whereby we're beholding the beauty of God understanding who he is and who he's revealed himself to be and that we're being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit. So, okay, so if he's making this statement, there had to be some kind of pretext to this and understanding of where is, where is he coming from. And, and at the beginning of chapter 3, let's... Uh, Let's, let's start in verse 2. Okay, we're going to read 2 Corinthians 3, 2-18. He says, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and ready by all. And you show that you are a letter from Messiah delivered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So he's... He's expressing to them that their lives are reflecting that which has been poured into them, right? That they themselves are a letter. They, the lives they live represent the transformation of them. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Messiah toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Okay, so I guess we'll pause as we go through this, okay? Have you ever heard people say, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, therefore the Torah needs to be done away with, and that we just need to live by the Spirit? Probably have, because it's really common. And so, but the thing is, we need to understand what Paul means by the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, and we can't just say, um, the Torah is done away with. And part of the reason why we can't say the Torah is done away with is because all throughout the Scriptures, it says that the Torah is eternal, that heaven and earth won't pass away. Yeshua says that it's life. Yeshua says to keep it. But Paul comes and says it kills. So therefore, it's done away with. I'm tempted. Well, okay, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but, but the thing is, who am I going to listen to? Paul or Yeshua? Okay? Now, the thing is, it's not that I need to discard what Paul's saying. It's that I need to understand what Paul's saying. Because Paul, Paul is speaking what is true, and he is speaking by the Spirit. There's times in his letters that he's not speaking by the Spirit. Okay? But he's speaking by the Spirit most of the time. Okay? And the, the teaching that he's giving is not in a vacuum. He's giving teaching to people who he's had relationship. He's had a buildup of context and relationship with over time so they understand him. And they understand that his, well, I can't say they understand. 
They should understand that his words are within a context and cannot stand on their own. And Peter gives us, of course, the warning about Paul speaking of things that are difficult to understand, that people contort them and twist them to their own demise. Yes, well, we don't want to be those people. So if we, if we don't want to be the people that Peter warns us about, then we need to understand Paul's words in light of all of the scripture and especially in the words of Yeshua. Okay, so the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. And then in the very next word, he, or next verse, he says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, it's like, man, this is getting bad for the Torah. Okay? Because he's calling this the ministry of death. And he said it kills. Well, what does he mean? What he's talking about is the very principle of the law of sin and death. The, the wages of sin is death. And so when we sin, we are subject to death apart from God's imparting of life to us. Okay, so but we sin. Now we are ready for death. The only way we know sin is by God revealing what sin is. So God reveals the Torah and says, this is sin. Don't do it. Oh, well, now we're accountable for it. Now, if we do the things that he said not to do, the wages we receive are death. So in this way, the letter does kill. In this way, the Torah is a ministry of death because, it hold, because all men are put up and accountable under it. Okay? But that doesn't mean that it's because of the Torah that we die. It's because of our sin that we would die not because of the Torah. Okay, it's because of our failure, our lack of righteousness, that we would attain death. But God says, that's not okay for me. I want to redeem you from that, and I'm going to do it by grace through faith. Okay, but even though I'm going to do it by grace through faith, I'm still giving you this Torah so that you can walk by it be transformed by it and be a light. Okay? So, so it's a ministry of death carved in letters on stone. But he says, look, he says, it came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. The revelation given to Moses caused his face to shine. Such that when, after he would meet with God and he would come out to the people, he would veil his face. Okay? And they couldn't gaze at his face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Okay? So the light would diminish after he hadn't been in God's presence. Okay? But this aspect of it coming to an end is that there is a time when the Torah in this bodily form does end. Heaven and earth pass away. There's the Torah of Messiah to come. But anyway, he, uh, <clears throat> he says, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Okay. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Okay, so what Paul is saying here is that 
the Torah that was given for this world, the one that was given on tablets of stone that represents this bodily aspect, does have an end because the fullness becomes revealed in the days ahead. Okay? We're still in this process of the fullness of it being revealed and the fullness of it being written on our hearts. But he says that came with such glory that Moses' face had to be veiled and that the glory of what's to come is even greater. So much greater that the glory that had to be veiled with Moses is as though there were no glory at all. Now, within all of this, this is not denigrating the Torah in any degree whatsoever. This is saying that the Torah had amazing, wonderful glory. But yet, the Torah by the Spirit, the Torah of Messiah, is so far superior that it's as though it didn't have glory. Right? It's like if you saw something really pretty, and then you saw something that was a hundred times prettier, the thing that was pretty would have no prettiness at all compared to the prettiness of the hundred times greater. Okay? Set in a criticism. So, but okay, so that's, that's Paul's point. And he's saying, um, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, when they read the Torah of Moses, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Messiah, Messiah is it taken away. Okay? So there's some translations that actually say that the Torah is taken away. But the scripture that Paul is saying here is that the veil is taken away through Messiah such that the fullness of the glory can be seen. Okay, so the greater degrees of the glory may be seen, but it's through Messiah that this revelation occurs. That's in a nutshell what Paul's saying there. Okay, he says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Notice that. When one turns to the Lord, it's the veil is removed so that you can behold the Torah and the beauty of it. It's not when one turns to the Lord, the Torah is removed. Not that, okay? I know I'm kind of beating this like a drum, okay? But, you know, this is part of renewing the mind, and it's part of us being able to make a statement for why it is we believe what we believe so that we can actually accurately reflect what the scriptures say and what God has revealed as opposed to being like, well, I don't know. I think the Torah stands, right? But the Torah stands. Okay, the veil is removed so that you may see the Torah. Okay? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? This is the freedom from sin and death. The Spirit bringing us into the fullness of the freedom. The freedom, really, to walk in broad places because we follow God's commandments. That's what we read in Psalm 119. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Right? So the Torah has been revealed and then the veil is removed through Yeshua so that we may behold greater depths of the Torah, so we might see the Torah fulfilled, rightly interpreted, and that we may be transformed by this revelation from glory to glory into His image 
that we may actually be that kingdom of priests. So when we look at the Torah and we look at everything that's written in it to do, we say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Is it what he said to the rich young ruler? Is it the go make things right with your brother? Is it the stop falling prey to the same temptation day by day, but renew your mind and say, I'm an overcomer by the power of the Spirit. And God's Word and His life will be manifested in me and through me so that I can have my light shine before men, that others will see my good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen. Does anybody have it? Oh, actually, it's 11.55. We're going to go ahead and I'm going to pray. <laughs> and uh, then we'll have announcements. So, Lord, we love you and we bless you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for the transforming power of your word that has been revealed through Moses, your word revealed through Yeshua. We ask, Lord, that you would come and that you would reveal to us what you have for us today, that we would have faith and confidence in you to step forward. Lord, that you would renew us. Lord, that we'd be transformed, no longer held captive, but we'd experience new degrees of freedom because of your revelation. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and we ask all these things in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.